0: Spending mass focused on alleviating poverty. British
1: public's trust in charities is declining. Funding pressures are increasing. Technologies
0: like blockchain are revolutionising our work. The
1: SDGs are crucial to ensuring no one is left behind.
0: Power is shifting to the global south.
1: The Bondcast, exploring the debates in international development. There's been a lot of hype around blockchain. Some say it will revolutionise the way we operate, while others are more sceptical of its potential. Now, the international development and humanitarian communities are beginning to explore this new technology and how it can be utilised to be more effective and transparent. At Bond, we've seen some really interesting examples of NGOs using blockchain technology to support the communities they work with overseas. At a time when the British public is sceptical of how aid is being spent, Could blockchain bring transparency and empowerment to donors, NGOs, aid agencies, and the people they aim to support? Our first guest on the Bondcast is Rodri Davies, Head of Policy at Charities Aid Foundation. Hello. Next, we have Ben Joachim calling in from Cardiff. Ben is the founder and CEO of Disperse, a fund management platform for development and humanitarian aid. Hello. First of all, what exactly is blockchain? Rodri, Could you talk us through what the technology is and how you've been involved with it?
0: Of course, Lena. Yeah, so blockchain essentially in its most basic form is a distributed public ledger. That doesn't necessarily explain that much because it's just sort of word salad. But what it basically means is it's a way of keeping records of ownership and transactions within a system. But instead of the kind of traditional model where you had to have a dedicated third party in the middle or a middleman who was trusted to keep the records, The responsibility for maintaining it is distributed across everybody using the system, so it's kind of decentralized. Um, I first became interested in it about four or five years ago, partly through sort of getting interested in cryptocurrency and kind of thinking how that might be relevant to charities and civil society. And then I kind of went on a journey of understanding that the underlying blockchain technology had these much wider potential applications. And for the last four or five years, I've been kind of exploring what some of those are through reports and think pieces and kind of talking to people in the blockchain world, but also kind of in the NGO and civil society world. Um, And I think, you know, there are some really fascinating things. As you mentioned in your intro, it has the potential to kind of open up uh, new levels of transparency. Um, It also potentially can kind of reduce the, the costs of doing business across geographic borders, but also it opens up some really interesting possibilities in terms of creating entirely new kinds of digital assets and also new models of governance. So there's a lot that it can potentially do.
1: Ben, just how innovative is blockchain? In other words, what does blockchain do that other platforms can't?
2: Yeah, so I think blockchain is is certainly an innovative emerging technology. Um, there are some big questions which Rod has started to kind of post on of some of some of those questions or some of those those challenges. I think when we when we consider blockchain or distributed ledger technologies, we have to ask why is there a, a need or a reason. Um, to distribute data across a number of different nodes or a number of different people, and therefore have no central point of, of control, as it were. And where, what are those use cases that make sense for having an immutable set of data or an immutable set of records? So, obviously, financial transactions is is a good example, one where you don't need to require where you don't require the need to work via a bank, for example. Um, but also where you you may feel that you do not have trust in the existing financial system um, and therefore in utilising a system where, as I say, there is no central uh, central control point, as it were. Beyond financial transactions, you know, wh- what are the other examples where we might want immutable data records? Um, voting, for example, land registers, supply chains. So I think when used in appropriate contexts, blockchain certainly... One can be innovative, and two has the potential to be transformative. But there are certainly a number of questions at a number of different levels that that arise when we consider what does um what does distribution or decentralisation mean? And I think all too often within the blockchain world, what we're what we're hearing is that you are either decentralized or centralised as opposed to there being being a spectrum. And I think the point that Rodri made, you know, a lot of a lot of these companies are trying to be very innovative, but potentially are they pushing that that too far? And are we on a journey towards decentralization as opposed to just it being, you know, a dot that we're either on or not? Uh, and that's certainly the approach that we that we take at Disperse.
1: In your in your experiences, is it really all it's cracked up to be? So uh, Rodri, what would you say to people when they say is it a glorified Spreadsheet.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting time to be talking about it. I think the the glorified spreadsheet criticism there, particularly, um, relates to uh, some evidence that Nouriel Roubini, um, who's a very prominent economist in New York um, and a big blockchain and cryptocurrency skeptic, gave to the U.S. Senate um, over the weekend, which contained a lot of, I think, very telling criticisms. I think actually, if you look at the detail of what he was saying. Most of what he said that really stuck was more to do with Bitcoin specifically or cryptocurrency more broadly. And actually, what he said about non financial blockchain was a bit less cutting. But that being said, I, over the last sort of four or five years, have gone through a sort of journey of peaks and troughs in terms of the gap between how excited I am by this sort of potential of blockchain and the reality of what I've uh, seen on the ground. I mean, certainly it's the case that organizations like Disperse were here quite early on and kind of doing really interesting work, and they are still the examples that mostly get kind of um, passed around. You'll see, you know, Ben talking at at lots of different events and coming on podcasts precisely because he is somebody who is actually still there trying to, to do this and make it work, whereas there have been lots of other people in the interim who have come and gone Often making quite sort of overbone claims about blockchain. And, you know, I'm not sure that's been very helpful in terms of the general kind of perception of the technology when it comes to aid and civil society. I still remain optimistic. I think there are some really kind of pragmatic things that could be done right now in terms of um, solving existing problems with kind of trust and governance and the cost of transactions and i also think with a view to the future there are some some really big prizes on offer in terms of kind of finding new decentralized operating models for organizations and kind of capturing non-financial value and social value in a sort of way that allows you to to put it alongside financial value and really kind of blend those two things in a way that's never been possible before so i think there's there's kind of a whole range of things that can be done but you know that being said i won't I shouldn't pretend that it's easier than it is to get involved with blockchain for most organisations. I think even if they're kind of excited by the potential, the reality is they can't go out there and kind of develop their own blockchain. Um, it's difficult to cut through a lot of the sort of heat and noise in the space and a lot of people making you know quite wild claims for for this, that, and the other. I think the the trick is to to try and kind of understand the features of the technology and how you might think it relates to your actual needs as an organization and the challenges that you work on and then try and find the kind of credible organizations out there and networks um, of people both within civil society and in the blockchain space who are genuinely trying to explore how this technology can be used for, for social good and then work with them to try and develop use cases that mean something on the ground.
1: Building on that, Ben, could you tell us a bit more about some of the projects that you've worked on and how blockchain has transformed the way the projects have been run?
2: Yeah, so I mean, just briefly, Disperse. At uh, Disperse, we're, we're building uh, a new financial institution for the aid sector. We we started Disperse just over two years ago uh, on on the belief that the that the existing financial system wasn't really built for the aid sector or the charitable sector more broadly. Um, and pose the question, well, what would an alternative financial system that actually meets the needs of the sector, what would that financial institution actually look like? And so when we look at the aid sector specifically and how money flows, we see, I guess, three challenges. One, that money moves relatively slowly within the existing banking system. So in the context of responding to a humanitarian crisis, for example, whether money arrives in you know, two days or two weeks can literally mean the matter of life or death in some cases. It's also expensive. You know, banks charge upfront banking fees and offer poor exchange rates. And that's that's money that is therefore not getting to the cause, as it were. But I think in some ways, more importantly than both of those, those legacy banking inefficiencies is the fact that it's opaque. And that lack of transparency causes a number of, ch- or, or creates a number of challenges or problems for the sector. At a very basic level, you know, if you're donating funds to um, the tsunami in Indonesia, for example, how how do we know where, where that donation is going, where it's being spent and the impact that it has? And if you take that challenge of, of, of a lack of traceability and and look at the whole sector, we, we then start to realise that, you know, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars are being distributed, but with no real way of tracing them through, through that system. And that leads to issues potentially around mismanagement or misappropriation of funds, but also... More, more broadly how how do we have a sense of, of of how money flows in the aid sector we see a very much a a top-down approach where the donors generally are defining the agenda um, and the sector is and and those it serves are therefore just recipients of aid and I think what we're starting to see within within the aid sector is certainly one a shift towards localization and then so therefore when we consider, appropriate technologies to build a new financial institution blockchain obviously makes sense for for a number of reasons but but primarily how does decentralization align um with with localization now that being said i don't think that technologies is is the answer to building a new financial institution there are a number of a number of challenges that come alongside that regulation certainly being being one of them and certainly you know Blockchain doesn't necessarily make it cheaper to move money. It's about how do we re- redefine the business models uh, or the processes that can start to reshape the way that, that money moves. So certainly blockchain has, has the potential to one, drive efficiency and also drive transparency. And I guess that means traceability in the context of the aid sector. How do we trace that flow of funds from donor through to individual recipients at the end of at the end of the chain? but it 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 shouldn't certainly be seen as that that silver bullet.
1: Given that you touched upon transparency and accountability, and this is really a question for both of you, what can you tell us about how the blockchain will be governed? What are the plans or how is it going to be, I guess maybe regulated, or talk a bit more about the ethics and how? how you know it can be trusted.
0: Well, if I knew the answer to how blockchain was going to be regulated, I'd probably be off in the financial sector making a lot of money. I think the reality is that because it is such a new technology and potentially disruptive, the approach to regulation is developing as the same time at the same time as the technology itself and also all of the kind of political and economic arguments about what it is and what it can do. And I think often regulators are struggling a lot to keep pace that does make it difficult for organizations who want to use it for things like financial transactions. Because I I certainly know I've talked to organizations who've worked with blockchain technology, trying to kind of run pilots and MVPs around the world. uh, And they've got all of the pieces in place, only to find that the government in the country in question has suddenly totally changed its mind about how it wants to regulate blockchain and cryptocurrency and has made it virtually impossible. And, you know, it's very difficult against that sort of backdrop to to kind of make any meaningful plans as an organization. So the risk profile uh, looks pretty bad. I mean, I think in terms of that, that longer term governance question, I mean, it goes back to what we were saying before about decentralization. I mean, one of the problems in a way with blockchain technology is there is no the blockchain or kind of Bitcoin, the company. Um, th- and the reality is there. there is actually a small minority of people who kind of are primarily responsible for making decisions about the governance mechanisms and changes to them of the blockchains themselves but I think there are kind of you know justifiable concerns and criticisms at the moment about whether or not that that sort of vision of decentralization is really playing out and certainly going to what Ben was saying um about the the kind of the way in which blockchain might fit very neatly with the wider move in the aid and development sector towards kind of shifting power dynamics and empowering people at a local level. We really want the version of blockchain that we're using to be one that genuinely does kind of distribute power down to those people and we're not inadvertently just shifting control of power away from central governments or Western aid agencies to a totally unelected and often kind of unidentifiable small number of people in Silicon Valley or elsewhere. So, so I think, you know, as with any new technology, you've just got to take into account some of these challenges while you're exploring the opportunity.
2: I think that that point to, with regards to regulation is is critical, especially when we when we look at the aid sector. The the aid sector is a sector that spans the whole world, um, and therefore is, is defined by a number of jurisdictions uh, and a number of regulations uh, sp- specific to those those countries. Um, and as as Rod said, a number of companies have have tried and failed because th- there is a reality. We we have to align with the regulators both here in the UK, but also internationally. And the, the thought that or the notion that blockchain is a route of bypassing regulation is certainly wrong and, and misleading. And so dispersed as a financial institution, whilst we use blockchain as a as a distributed database, we are still authorised by the FCA as an electronic money institution. The funds that we issue onto our platform are not a cryptocurrency. They are electronic money backed by funds held in segregation. So the model that we the model that we deploy is is therefore slightly different and enables us to align both with the regulators requirements but also the needs of, of the aid sector because the notion that the aid sector is suddenly going to start budgeting in in Bitcoin I think is yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> is is a long a long way off. The reality is we work in pounds, we work in dollars, we work in local currency. And so that any system that is being built to meet the needs of the sector has to recognize the realities of the sector and the context of the sector as well.
1: So how will NGOs know if they are blockchain ready? <laughs> <laughs> what are your tips for them to, to kind of self-assess if, they, if this is the right way for them to go? And, and what would they need to know? Well, I think
0: it's one of those things, I think as with any kind of emergent, new or potentially disruptive technology, the reality is for most, if not all civil society organizations, they are not going to be developing this stuff themselves and they're unlikely to be early adopters and probably shouldn't be really because it's usually not appropriate. So I I do think um, that there is something hugely important about looking for partnerships and trying to work with those who have the technical knowledge about blockchain and what it is and how it can be deployed, and then bringing to bear knowledge of the actual real world challenges and use cases. And there needs to be far more of that um, being done. I mean, I think it's still one of the big gaps is in trying to find ways to bring together those two worlds so that they can kind of work out between them how to apply this stuff in the real world. Um, And I think there's a strong argument um, to be made to companies, actually, that this is something that they should see as in their own interest because a lot of organizations in financial services and technology will be doing CSR and corporate philanthropy And at the same time, we'll be plowing lots of money into an R&D in blockchain and other technologies. Well, if they thought about using some of that money to explore NGOs, civil society, social good use cases, it could help charities and NGOs who want to explore that. But also those companies, I genuinely think, would learn something that could stand them in good stead commercially because it's such a new technology that if you can find a meaningful use case – and explore it. You're going to learn something valuable from that.
1: And Ben, what would be your tips on NGOs looking to use blockchain?
2: So I think what what Rod said is is right. Um, I think for the majority of NGOs, for them trying to build their own blockchain system is 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 probably not not the right strategy, not the right approach. But working in partnership with organisations that are that are doing this and are trying to build new platforms or new ecosystems that that can align and meet the needs of of the aid sector specifically that's certainly um, a a routine. I think the most important point to start at is as opposed to should we be using blockchain technology is what problems do we need to solve. So if we we look within uh, a financial context of of aid organizations for example you know those those organizations should be should be asking themselves the question what are our key challenges and does blockchain or other emerging technologies does that solve these problems or can it solve these problems um and approaching it in that way as to ensure that you know that we're not just doing something for blockchain's sake um that we're actually exploring how to how to address or how to tackle key challenges within the sector um so I think my my one piece of advice is, you know, approach it from a problem-first perspective um, and yes, work alongside partners that are already are already doing this. And also speak to other organizations that have, have been there, whether they've you know decided to use a, a platform like Disperse to try and you know to try and test the distribution of funds and and understand what that what how how blockchain makes a difference, or whether it's, you know, should we be exploring you know, accepting donations in cryptocurrency, for example. There are lots of organizations out there that are starting to, to kind of dip their toes in the water as such. So, you know, leveraging, leveraging their advice as well and their experience, certainly.
1: Before we go, are there any interesting projects or programs using blockchain that we should know about? And if so, let's give them a shout out now.
0: Yeah, well, there's this great little platform called Disperse that <laughs> people... No, I'll give Ben a shout out because, as I say, you know, I've known Ben for a few years and as he's one of the people, you know, and the organisations that has actually been there genuinely kind of trying to think this through in a kind of responsible and thoughtful way and, and as a result has sort of adapted, you know, their approach based on how the external environment has changed. And I think the organisations that have done this well, that's what they've been doing. So, I mean, actually... The examples that I I would cite would be familiar to anybody who's kind of has looked into the blockchain for good space because there still are only a few of them. Alice.si, I think, you know had a reasonably well publicized um, partnership here in the UK with St. Mungo's doing a, a pilot around homelessness that was interesting and continued to do some good work. Um, I also think the IXO Foundation, who are based out of South Africa. Um, are doing some really interesting stuff around decentralized governance um, and kind of uh, capturing non-financial value. Uh, and also in terms of that kind of decentralized governance model, Giveth.io, who are a kind of loose network based on the Ethereum blockchain, trying to test the model of these things called um, distributed autonomous organizations, which is kind of uh, decentralized companies essentially or decentralized organizations um, are kind of testing a theory now that I thought probably wasn't going to happen for a, a good few years. So I think what they're doing is really worth keeping an eye on as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, Rod, Rod's just taken uh, at least one of them that I was that was going to mention. So I think, I think the work that uh, the, the team at Alice are doing um, in terms of transparent uh, uh, donations approaches is, is certainly really, really interesting. Um, so I won't I won't list any others. What what I'll do, you know, I think I think there are some use cases where we we see where where I'm excited. So I mentioned um, land rights, voting, um, and and supply chain. Um, those are the areas for me, especially when you align that with you know a social good approach. Those are the areas for me where I think um, blockchain technology or, or, or DLT has has some huge potential. There's certainly a long way to go. There are already some companies. Um, working in that space. But as, as Rod said, it's, it requires thought. Uh, it requires thought and attention to ensure that we're not just building a technical solution um, to a problem that people don't really need a technical solution for. And so understanding the requirements of the user or the sector in which in which organizations are working with um, is, is critical.
1: It seems that there is a lot of potential for blockchain and the future seems bright for everything from uh, financial transactions to donors, tracking where money goes to even voting, which is is really exciting. Um, So hopefully we will watch this space and see what else comes out of it. Thank you to all of our guests uh, for this provocative and inspiring discussion. Want to know more about how you can utilize new technologies for your NGO? Sign up to Bond's newsletter or go to our website to get more insights tips and tools we'll also be discussing these topics further at the bond conference on the 18th and 19th of march 2019